Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Passing Dimes. Really excited for today's guest. I'm excited to learn a lot. So this athlete played at Capilano. He then went on to play at UBC. He started the Thunder Beach Volleyball Club. And here we go, all the stuff he's won. He's won the Seaside Open. He's won 22 Clivers, or KBVA events. He's the all-time winner in tournament wins and prize money for that organization. He's won BC Provincials six times. He's got a third at Vancouver Open. And shout-out to super best friend of the show, Ben Saxon, for the hookup, because... This athlete also plays in the MVVL. Please welcome to the show, Johnny Whisker. Thanks for doing this, man. Yeah, thanks a lot, Josh. Uh, appreciate the intro there. <laughs> Makes me realize how old I am by uh, how many <laughs> tournaments are, are in there. So, <laughs> Yeah, shout out to a couple friends of the show. I got some background information from Alex Russell and Seymour and the Side Out Beach guys. So there's, there's going to be a lot to cover in this interview, I hope. Yeah, I wonder how you get all that intel. Uh, definitely <laughs> some of my good buddies here. Uh, Big Russ is uh, someone uh, that's uh, come up through the ranks, and I've known him since he's about 15 years old. So I know his dad quite well as well. So, yeah. And then obviously Seymour is a beauty. So, <laughs> so growing up at West, how did you choose volleyball as your sport? Like, did you grow up playing hockey or any other sports? Or when did you kind of go all in on volleyball to kind of start this this long journey that you have been through? Yeah, so definitely played. Uh, I have two older brothers, so uh, I think that was a big part of my uh, development. So definitely watched them. I remember running around the hockey rink uh, when my brothers were playing, you know, just going crazy, like playing by myself in the corner of the rink. Um, so definitely looked up to them. We used to play basketball, and they used to they used to kick my butt pretty bad. So uh, I think that's kind of where I gained some resiliency in the long run. So definitely looked up to them. And then when the volleyball came in, um, my brother was in grade 10 and it was a junior high school. So I was, I was in grade eight at the time and, uh, he had a really good, uh, volleyball team that ended up coming like, you know, top four in the province for the, uh, school season. And, uh, yeah, so I was basically the cheerleader. I sat on the end of the bench. I came to all of the practices. I came on, came to the provincial's road trip actually, and just loved uh, the spirit of the team and just the enthusiasm and, uh, um, I had a passion for basketball as well, and I played at a decently high level, but um, I just love the camaraderie of the, of the sport, and uh, most of my best friends, my wife, are all come from volleyball, so I think just friendship and just the nature of the sport, uh, but really it was that year sitting on the bench, I won an award at the year as the ugliest cheerleader, <laughs> so uh, that was nice, but uh, yeah, yeah, so after that, I basically, the passion was there, and I just continued to play. I, and I actually played middle all through college as well. I'm six foot four, uh, so I was an undersized middle all the way through my college time. I was a passing middle at Capilano, which was kind of rare at that time because it was, uh, I mean, it was a while ago still, but it was uh, early 2000s. Really, I didn't know. I think it's so funny today when I see all these kids, and I, and I, and I do a little bit of coaching. I talk to kids, and the recruiting's done so early. Because I was, you know, I graduated high school, and I was just, I had no idea if I was playing post-secondary until, you know, a few months before my graduation. So it kind of just fell into place, and the opportunities were the local colleges around there, because no CIS program, uh, I think it was CIAU at the time, if I'm not mistaken, was looking at a 6 foot 4 middle for sure. And, uh, yeah, I continued to just improve and work, and... Uh, and then eventually played my three years, transferred over to uh, UBC. But we had a really successful program at Capilano uh, with Coach Brad Hudson. A lot of my best friends were there. I had a great experience at college. I mean, it's a little different now with the CIS expanding. But at the time, I mean, the only schools in Canada West were, I think Trinity had just, had just gone CIS. UBC was there. And then U of A and U of C. So I think there was only four schools in all of BC and Alberta. And so the level of the college game was quite high because there just weren't a lot of spots for, for the CIS schools. So we ended up coming second in nationals in my third year. And we ended up playing Red Deer in the final. And it was uh, Dallas Juniors was on the team. Mark Dodds was on the team. I think... Uh, so that was the that was the year when during the stretch when uh, Red Deer had a had a great run of uh, championships there. They won, I think they won five in a row. So they were pretty stacked. So that was, that was kind of an experience. But uh, but yeah, the college experience was great. I thought it was cheap. The uh, it was close to my home. Uh, and as a 17 year old kid, in my first year, I thought it was an easier transition than going right to a university academically as well. So 
Nice, so, yeah. yeah. When we had uh, Brock Davidek on the show, this was a lot more common, I think, in our age group that people would go play college and then go play university. So when you were leaving high school, was the plan always to go to university or was that when you set your sights on being a teacher that you knew you were going to go to university afterwards and, and playing was going to be a part of that? Or was this part of the plan in the beginning or did it kind of just kind of start to come together piece by piece when you're going through college? Oh God, no, there was no plan whatsoever. <laughs> I was just, like I said, I, it was, I was playing for the love of the game. Uh, I knew I wanted to play uh, as I was going through my, you know, I had some success. I, I didn't even make Team BC, to be honest, when I was uh, going through through high school, just because of, you know, the fact that I think I played middle, I was undersized, and coaches were, like, looking for more potential, um, long-term potential. So, yeah, I, uh, I was just taking it one day at a time, really. I, want, I knew I wanted to play. Uh, it's not until... Well, my, maybe my second, third year at CAP, uh, I started having some success and, and uh, you know, wanted the challenge of playing at the next level. Um, and then also to take my, you know, at CAP Plano at the time, it wasn't a university, it was a college, so you couldn't get a, a degree. So then I started to think about how I was going to get my degree. Um, and the teacher thing didn't come till much later, to be honest. <laughs> uh, I've been teaching for eight years now, uh, so I'm like 36. So I, I got in my mid-20s and uh, really had, I graduated, finished playing. I had no idea what I was going to do. I mean, it's, yes, yeah, quite a contrast to some of the, I mean, I coach girls, so it's different. I think it's very different for girls and guys. Uh, a, lot, a lot of girls know what they want from a young age and they're driven, not everyone, obviously. But uh, I think a lot, of, a lot of us men were just floating around, uh, just having a good time, so... Nice. And you mentioned Red Deer was very strong and playing against like Dallas Sunius and some other guys. Uh, in doing some research for the show, you're in one of those like longest rally ever clips with UBC versus Alberta. And I'm looking at the names and it's like you and Krauss and Laborde on your squad playing against like Brock Cundy, uh, Alex Casillas. Like what was your experience like jumping from college to university? Because it looked like, yeah, playing against Red Deer and their stacked teams and their long dynasty but when you get to the CIS, it looked like a great era, not only for Canada West, but but the CIS in general for volleyball. So how did you find the jump as you kept going from like high school to college to university? Was it always going to be a step up every time you changed teams or did it ever kind of normalize because you're playing at such a high level at Capilano? Well, I think for me, we had a very good team at Capilano and, um, and I think back to some of the like the success that we had was because we had such a deep team and our practices were honestly more competitive than most of our games. We would it was the kind of thing where we're battling during practice and that kind of you know carried over the games were almost easier. Uh, we were all best friends. Uh, it was a tight tight knit group. When I moved up to to UBC, it was kind of an interesting situation because Rich Schick had just taken over the team. I think two years before that. There were some players that were still kind of, you know, Dave Belesny, Jake Cabot, and a few others that uh, had played for the previous coach, Dale Oman, um, and there was a bit of a transition period. So my first year, my fourth year eligibility, I had some fifth years on the team, and we actually did quite well. We made, we didn't make the Canada West semifinals, but, I mean, yeah, like, like you said, when you think back of it, some of the players, Trinity was absolutely stacked. Uh, they had Chris Meehan, Josh Howitson, uh, Rogalski, they were, they were stacked across the board, and I think they actually won nationals in my fifth year and beat U of A, even though U of A had pretty much half the national team on their, on their, on their roster. Uh, and then we had U of A. But for me personally, it was a bit of a challenge because I was switching positions as well. I switched to the left side when I moved up. So even though, you know, actually the strongest part of my game was probably my ball control and passing because I had done that as a middle at Capilano. But getting used to, you know, decision-making, uh, when I didn't have a good set, it's much easier offensively when I'm playing middle. I could go up and I don't have the time to think too much about what I'm going to do. I'm just going to make that quick decision. I'm going to put the ball down. Whereas when it's outside, you've got to do a lot more risk assessment. And it's a lot more pressure on you as, as, a, as an attacker, I think, because I often made the wrong decision a lot of the time early on. And honestly, even I didn't fully convert even through my fifth year. Uh, I played some men's, men's after and I started to feel a lot more comfortable as I got older, um, but I don't think I fully adapted to the to the position change. Um, interesting note: uh, my fourth year, um, Martin Reeder was on our squad. Actually, he transferred over from Camosun, so I was kind of like a third left side at the time. We had Jeff Emsley um, and and Marty there, um, and then that, that that longest rally that you're referring to that was my fifth year. And yeah, the U of A was absolutely stacked that year. That was their banner raising. So they had won nationals the year before. 
And we came in, we were quite young that year, but we actually ended up pulling out a W that night, which was, which was kind of neat. But uh, yeah, the transition for me was, I, I just think it's the speed of the game, the size of the blocks, the size of the athletes. Um, it took a while to, to adjust for sure. Some of the spin surges you're seeing are just at another velocity. I don't think, like I think I did adapt in that way, but um, in terms of being fully comfortable attacking as a left side, I don't think I was like fully quite there yet by the end of my fifth year. And where did uh, where did beach volleyball fit into this? Like, were you a passing middle because you were playing beach growing up, and that's where the ball control came from, or was it going the other way? Where you know what, I, I enjoy the ball control side of indoor. I can go play beach, and it's going to be a pretty fair transition. Like, which one came first for you and your trip to the beach? Well, I had always kind of dabbled in it, but it was not organized when I was when I was younger at all. Like, there was a few tournaments every summer. I had a friend that I played high school ball with, and we we went out and played in a couple tournaments. The first real exposure I had to pretty high level volleyball was in my uh, the end of my grade twelve year. So in the summer between grade twelve and my first year at Cap, I played with a guy Matt Chow, and we ended up uh, coming top three at provincials. So we qualified for top Team BC, and we went over to Victoria Island and we trained. And it was interesting. It's interesting looking back at some of the uh, players that were there because we had uh, Martin Reader was partners with Josh Howitson. Uh, and this was, they were a heck of a team. They won provincials, I believe. And then there was Sean Casey and, uh, Matt Carreri were a team. Um, not sure if people will be familiar with Matt Carreri, but he was, he was a very, very top level player. Uh, he went to U of H and played indoor and he was one of the top beach players, but he decided to pursue medicine. So he, I think he's still on the island now kind of dabbling, getting back into it a little bit, but he was a very strong player. And then, yeah, I remember we were we trained on on uh, Victoria Island for two weeks, and then we went to nationals and played. And at the nationals, a uh, uh, Dan Casey was also playing there with uh, his partner Adam Parks at the time. I remember going to nationals. I remember seeing Josh Binstock playing with I think Wagelow uh, at the time. That sounds um, right. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so it was it was pretty neat. You got my first exposure to the kind of high level. I think Simic uh, Simic was playing. Uh, at the nationals, the nationals were actually youth nationals were held at Kitts Beach for the first time. So like that was really my first exposure seeing this. I didn't do we didn't do so well. We came like seventh or something, but I got that first exposure to the high level of volleyball. Then afterwards, my coach at Capilano was actually a uh, a good player. Uh, his name is Brad Hudson, and he took me out to my first cliver. And I went up to the cliver, and uh, I just had a blast. I remember sitting and watching. Uh, Brian Causey and uh, Cam Seabrook playing and uh, just sitting and watching the finals. Cliver was handing out a couple of beverages for the semifinals and getting everybody in the right mood. And uh, I remember just sitting down and I, I, watching it and just thinking it was so cool. Like they're competing at such a high level. The atmosphere was so neat. Just everybody kind of relaxed and kind of, you know, similar to what it's now, just kind of chirping a little bit. And uh, yeah, I, I was hooked after that. So that was probably way back in 2004. I didn't really kind of fully get into it until probably the summer of 2006, 2007, where I played with a guy, Lucas Mertelic, and we ended up getting a fourth in the Vancouver Open, surprisingly. Uh, it wasn't quite as deep as it is now, for sure, um, but I, I remember we beat Dan Casey and Parks to get into the uh, to the semifinals, um, and I believe an American team won that year, Adams and Chapman, a couple of guys from kind of the uh, Seattle, Oregon area. But... Uh, but yeah, it kind of was a little later, to be honest, till I fully committed to it. I think I was actually probably just going to my fifth year at UBC um, when I committed fully to beach. So and it, and is Kitts Beach kind of your home over the years? Because I, I was told to ask about like your involvement in the Challenge Court, playing a bunch of KBVAs, and and before <laughs> we get down a wormhole about all the good things that uh, Cliver's been up to, what is Jort Court? <laughs> well, Jord Court is a yearly tradition. Um, so Steve Gotch, who was a former, and he played at UBC, former national team guy, Blair Ban, Jared Krause, uh, basically started a little tradition where uh, there's all kinds of silly rules, and it's a uh, there's a few beverages involved, and it's a four on four tournament. It's it's basically like a full day event where. You're setting up, and there's there, there's very strict policy and rules in place, and it's uh, it's kind of a, uh, a few drunken escapades. But over the years, we've had uh, because of the connection with the international team, we've had all kinds of like really 
talented players come out. Like Perrin played one year. I think Freddie Winters has played. Uh, you know, last couple of years we've had Herb and uh, from UBC. Guidi was out. We had CC Marshalls played. I think that Rudy Verhoff has come out in the past. Uh, so like it's it's quite hilarious because it's like really good volleyball, but it's we're all wearing jorts that are that the primary the premise of it is basically you show up in jeans and you all cut your jorts and it's kind of like a Top Gun kind of like uh, volleyball <laughs> action where bit of a bit of a gong show, but it's uh, it's pretty entertaining for sure. Uh, but uh, I think it's been going for. Whew, I don't want to say it's been going for seven or eight years, I'd say now. So it's uh, it's a yearly tradition. Although this year might be a little creative because one of the forefathers, Blair Band, is out of the country. We're trying to make arrangements to get him back, but I don't know <laughs> if that's going to happen in time. So we'll, we'll, we'll see how that pans out. <laughs> awesome. But, and um, we've, uh, we've had a few guys on the show who have talked about Kids Beach and the KBVA, but just in your own words, can you just explain what you've enjoyed so much about it? Like being a part of the KBVA and even going down and playing challenge court, like it, it really does become a, a part of people's social circle and they want to spend a lot of time there. And, and it seems like guys are just working themselves into good players there, but it, there doesn't feel like work because it's where you want to be. You're with your buddies, you're playing at a high level and yeah, there, there's some, chirping going on but it's still really good volleyball and it's always friendly right so in your own words what kind of got you hooked after that first cliver and, and made you kind of keep going through and play with all the different partners and over the years and all the good stuff you've done there yeah it's interesting because i think back like to the history of the kbva um if you look back it just started in 1997 and uh it started off it was quite small and it was cliver was just like you know if you look you can look back there's a website with all the results on there so it has, like, Cliver's kept all of He's got these binders. It's like totally OCD, right? And he's got all of the binders. And uh, Ryan Gandy, uh, a few years ago, inputted these all into his website. And it's, like, the registration and the results. And it's, it's kind of cool to look back on. But back early in 97, 98, 99, you know, there's, there's not that many teams playing. There's, like, you know, eight teams, you know, 12 teams. Uh, you know, then it starts to grow. Uh, and then... I'd say probably around like 06, 07, you're getting up to like 30 teams. And then in the last like, you know, five or six years past, in the last like yeah, five-ish years, you're probably, you, we've got like 50 teams out and uh, like the, the, the participation's just gone up and up and up. It's a nice balance between kind of the competitive and, and, the, uh, and the social aspect of it, I would say. For me as a young player getting into it, it was definitely a social piece, but there are also some really, really top players that are, you know, Brian Causey, who's, who played on the national team, uh, and Scott Emsley were, were the team kind of dominating when I came came into it. And uh, it's, it was that challenge to always improve. Challenge court is just like, it's hard to describe. It's just so much fun. You just show up uh, after a day of work and you just sit down and you're with your buddies. So it's, 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 there's this social piece, but there's also that competitive piece where over the years I would always try to improve and it's like that measuring stick. And if I'm looking back to like when I first started playing, uh, my goal was to like, oh, I want to win a Cliver. And then a couple of years pass, it doesn't happen. It's like, am I ever going to win a Cliver? Uh, and then I meet Maddie at uh, UBC uh, where you end up just being roommates uh, randomly. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to be paired with a, uh, I wonder who I'm going to be with. Hopefully I like, we like, you know, hopefully he's a good guy. And, uh, first, I remember the first time my son, I was like, so, uh, there's an NBA game on tonight. Like, uh, do you like NBA? Like, like, cause I'm a huge NBA fan. He's like, him. it turns out that he is as well. So we're, we're watching like, you know, the Raptors with Andre Farnani back in the day and, uh, in, in residence. And, uh, so anyways, I, uh, I, I kind of hooked him into the beach from there and then it was a uh, slow progression upwards. Uh, and then a few years later we started kind of doing pretty well. So I'm from Port Moody originally. So, which is about 45 minute drive out, but I, I moved into Kits probably around 2008 I moved four blocks from the beach, and it was uh, one of the best decisions I've ever made, I'd say. <laughs> uh, one of the easiest, too. Um, as soon as I could have done it financially, I was doing it for sure. Yeah, been there ever since. So, um, yeah. So another pillar that seems to be not only for Canadian volleyball, but definitely in the BC scene is just the Van Open. Can you just talk about how that's changed over the years? Because I think everybody's seen – how amazing of a job like last year was that was a professional band that could have easily been an FIV three star right it was just amazing but how has it kind of grown over the time that you started playing because you're one of the local guys who's still getting good results which would be I think an interesting discussion because it's a 
for me, there's two sides of it. You want the local guys to do well because that's what Kid Speech is about, and you want it to be about like the Vancouver people. But you still want the best teams there, right? So now that other teams are coming and maybe changing the makeup, are, are the local guys still? happy because it's the best volleyball possible or is it always going to be about like pushing you or Maverick Hatch or some of those guys into the last day so it still has that local feel to it yeah I don't know there's obviously there's competing interests and uh, I mean it was a lot bigger last year for sure when you just like look at it had the grandstands in there and uh, everything and I, and I think back to like uh, when I played with Lucas Metallic, I think it was like 06, and I was, what I was talking about earlier, we made the semifinals, and I'm just thinking about the caliber of players, and I mean, it was a completely different format, but it's definitely gotten stronger and stronger. I remember around, there was a year, there was a few years there where it was like a decent level, it was like our local tournaments, but a step up, because some guys from the States would come, and then a lot of the uh, Team Canada guys started coming, so then it was, you know, some locals, a few, some of the Americans from like Seattle and Oregon, which back then there was, there was, there's some good players. There's not a lot of young guys coming up from that area, but um, they were, they were some of the stronger teams around. And then, you know, Martin Reeder, Ben Saxton, Binstock, Maisy, um, all those guys, you know, the Mav and Sam and all, all the other guys started coming. And, and then the last five years, probably, it's like the whole national team is coming. Even the younger guys are come, making the trip out, and uh, it's uh, the depth of it has just skyrocketed. Um, I think the depth locally has skyrocketed as well. Because when I think back, there's you know a handful of good teams. I'm thinking about how difficult it was to make a semifinal, and I remember there was a time where, uh, you know, if we play well, we're going to make the semi no matter what. Now, now it's like. There's, there's another layer of young talent that's coming up. These guys are working really hard, and there's a couple guys that have started a training group that have been trained, coached by Ben. Um, so with Zade uh, and uh, Justin Feister and uh, some of those guys. So there's the depth of it's really just gone up. So now, like, a Cliver is, is an interesting tournament. I, I know I was going on a tangent here, but it's really a grind. It's like a one-day tournament. Uh, it's, you're playing, like, multiple, multiple matches and back in the day, there'd be some matches that were gimmies, right? And you could kind of just coast through these matches. Now you're playing like all, all out for most of the day, really. Um, so to get through those tournaments is pretty difficult. I think in terms of the Vancouver Open with the local, and the, I think getting the best volleyball is really what everyone wants to see. Uh, obviously, the goal of mine has always been to win the Van Open. Gotten close in a few times, uh, a couple of opportunities where we, we didn't, we had a couple injuries and stuff like this, but. I really think like getting the best teams out there to see the best volleyball is important. I, I mean, you want to keep the local flavor. That's always going to be there. I think there's always going to be local, good local teams that are going to be competing. And I, I'm, I'm of the mind that just get the best, best talent out there. Uh, I mean, last year was so awesome to watch the Brazilians play. The level of volleyball is just amazing. So yeah, that's kind of where I stand on that. Nice. And just one other tournament I wanted to pick your brain on just before we take a deeper dive into your career is the Seaside Open. And, and not to downplay that, like that's a tournament you've won and that's a very tough tournament, but maybe on some Canadians radar, at least us in Ontario and maybe further east, we just don't know enough about that event. Can you just speak on like the caliber and, and how much of an accomplishment it was to, to take that one down? Yeah, there's actually, there's actually been a few Canadians that have won. So the Casey brothers won. The Casey brothers are like legends down there. They've gone down for the last like 15 years. Everybody knows them. They always do well. Even like like they're always getting top five, right? Even even though the caliber is getting stronger and stronger as well. And it's it's an it's an interesting tournament because it's uh, it's down in the, kind of the south of Oregon, south of Oregon. Uh, so you get a lot of uh, California teams coming up. Um, you get all of the Seattle and the Oregon teams, and then a lot of Canadian teams. So it's it's basically like the whole West Coast. Uh, kind of comes to this. It's built. It's uh, kind of built as like the largest tournament in the world because it's got over 100 courts easily set up. Um, it's like 120 or 130 courts. I think was the most they ever had. There's all different categories, right? Like different uh, divisions. So you know, you got co-ed, you got fours. There's also a, a father or I'm sorry, parent-child division. Nice. So. Um, you know, you find that balance of the ages there. And the, the really neat thing about it is just the atmosphere. Because it's such a large tournament, you have so many volleyball people there. And also the really neat thing they do with the center court. So they have a stage, 
But then they, they bring in excavators and whatever, and they build up these giant sand dunes on three sides of the court. And then people come before the tournament and they'll put couches, like, you know, <laughs> beach chairs, and they stick it all up. So it's this kind of like natural grandstand. So like, if you see some pictures, you'll see like, it's a grandstand. Like literally, there's a stage on one side and the three sides, there's like the sand built up. And there's just so many volleyball people. And I think generally Americans are uh, a little bit more vocal and, uh, <laughs> and enthusiastic, I'd say. So, I mean, every, there's, you're also permitted to drink on the beach. So everybody's having some of that. And the, the atmosphere is, uh, is second to none, really. Like very, very similar to, to the band Open, just like a little different because obviously it's in America. But it's, it's got a great, great atmosphere there. Um, and obviously, like, I'd say like there's there's not the top top ADP teams the last few years, but it's been like kind of like maybe like lower half of the main draw ADP teams, um, depending on the year and the scheduling how it works with the ADP schedule. But uh, it's a, it's a, it's an excellent level, and uh, and just the way that they've constructed the court and the atmosphere as a whole is is, is pretty unique. Nice. And, and once again, just doing some research for the show, I just want to talk about how you have the ability to play with different partners and what you like to do kind of with, with soft skills to get used to them. Because you've played with friend of the show, Maverick Hatch. You've played with uh, Alex Russell. I, I looked it up. You played with Krauss, Verhoof, Saxton, Labordier. Like, you've got a pretty talented list here, but you seem to be the constant in all of those. So when somebody calls you up and says, hey, do you want to play in this Cliver? And, and maybe Labordier is not available because that seems to be your, your main partner. How are you deciding who you play with? How are you getting comfortable? who's playing left side right side are you blocking like what goes into all these decisions because you seem to get the most out of no matter who you're playing with well yeah i don't know if i'm the main part of all that those are some pretty talented guys <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah no it's been really i've been really lucky to be able to play with so many really good players obviously starting with maddie uh, like I, I mentioned that we, i connected with him at ubc and i just saw that potential right away like he was playing left side at ubc and I see at the ball skills and also like, I think one thing that made our partnership so successful because we played a lot and he actually just moved out of town last summer. So he's not around anymore. Uh, he's, re he's retired, he's retired. <laughs> I'm doing quotation marks here. Um, and he moved back home to the Kootenays in Invermere and we started our family there and he's, he's actually a teacher as well. So, but, uh, I think like the main thing that made us successful was our competitiveness. Um, he was, one of the most, like, we used to, because when you're younger in university, we were both basketball guys, and we used to, like, shoot hoops, and, and we would play um, little games, whether it was, like, you know, shooting hoops, whether it was uh, foosball. Uh, we had a little a little mini basket in, our, in the middle of our room, and we'd, we'd shoot baskets, like, from across the room and play little games of buckets from across our dorm room or whatever, and uh, and we'd play for hours. Like, I mean, my, my grades really suffered for that, like that <laughs> but uh, I'm okay with it. Long term. No one wanted to be the last one to lose, right? Uh, and it kind of carried over to when we, were, when we were playing. I think it was really a mindset. It was kind of that refuse-to-lose mindset, no matter what was going to happen. I knew Maddie was going to lay it out on the line. And if we lost, you could, we wouldn't talk to each other for 10 minutes. I didn't, no one would come, my wife knew not to come talk to me, uh, my girlfriend at the time or whatever. I would just, we'd go brood for 10 minutes and then, you know, we'd be okay. But um, it was, it was, the, I think that was the main part of our kind of success as a partnership. Obviously, he was the best blocker around like uh, at that time. So, I mean, I just, I played defense. Um, I started my career off as a blocker when I played with Lucas uh, and then, I mean, when you're playing with a six-nine guy, you're going to let him go up to the net. And the thing that made him such a unique player was, as a blocker, he wasn't like the biggest guy out there in terms of putting his press over the net. But I remember because I used to play against him in training and stuff like this too, right? And he, you couldn't see where he was. He was the best. Like he just dive all over the place, and he would just press over. So like he's he's a skinny guy, right? He's six foot nine, uh, buck seventy. Just joking. <laughs> But, uh, but he like he would go down and he'd have his narrow frame and he and you go up and swing and I I remember like you see okay cross courts open go take a swing all of a sudden he's just like boom and you're, he's like straight down right so I think he really got in people's heads and uh, thinking back to the KBVA at that time there weren't a lot of blockers like him 
as the time passed, some there's some more bigger bodies out there, and people get used to seeing some bigger blocks. But like he was pretty unique in that way. So Maddie, yeah, like we played uh, one seventeen climbers together or or whatever. So like we played probably forty over forty climbers together. Maybe I don't know. We played a lot. Um, but yeah, uh, other partners like I mean Mav was awesome to play with. Like he actually the story behind that was. Uh, Matt, here we were connecting our stories to Jork Court. We're playing Jork Court the week before the Van Open, about three three years ago, I think. And we're playing, and uh, Maddie tweaks his ankle, but he doesn't tell me when during Jork Court because again, he's he's too competitive, right? And I mean, we have the Vancouver Open later that week, and Maddie ends up getting the kill to win the final game at Jork Court. He's fired up, and he tells her, "Matt, I, I I blew my ankle like six points ago." I was like, what are you doing? Why are you playing? Like, and then, so anyways, like, he's like, you know, I don't know if I'm going to be able to play. Um, he had reached out to Mav because he had that, Matty had actually spent a bit of time in Ontario and had played with Mav for, for a short period of time. So he reached out to Mav and, and Mav, I just got a random message from Mav one day and it's like, hey, I hear Matty's hurt. He's like, want to play? And this is like three days before that, or maybe even like, Maybe less than that. I think it was three days before the open. And I was like, "Oh, but like, well, yeah. Like, you're in Ontario right now. What are you doing?" Like, he's like, "Oh, I'll just fly out." And so I, I talked to Adrian Goodmurphy, the coordinator, and uh, they made it happen somehow. I don't know what the that's all legit, but um, he flew out, and we ended up doing really well. Uh, we came third, I believe, that year, and uh, played back to back years. Um, I mean. Matt's a pretty easy guy to play with. He's so skilled. His setting is so smooth. He's such a cerebral player. And, uh, again, he's got the ball skills of a little guy. So, like, that was a ton, ton of fun. I mean, Van Open a little different than playing in a cliver where you're grinding it out all day. Um, although I can't – Matt just won a cliver. He beat Jared and I in the finals, the last cliver last year, so I can't say too much about that. But um, – <laughs> Yeah, other guys like uh, Ben Saxton was, I mean, that was just a treat. It was the worst weather that day. It was like downpour, but I mean, I got pretty much every set served, I think, that day. Um, ben was playing right. Most of the partnerships I've played with, I think I've had success when I've been a uh, more of a digger. Uh, Jared and I split a little bit, but I'd say overall, it's my success has been, you know, playing with a big blocker. And just from experience from playing with Maddie, Mav, um, and, and other players, Ben, I'm used to siding out. I enjoy siding out. Uh, I prefer that. In fact, even if my partner's siding out well, I just don't like being not in control. So the fact that, you know, you're playing with Ben, you're getting every, you know you're getting every serve, I, I enjoy that pressure. And honestly, perform better under that pressure. It's like when I'm not getting served and I'm just setting and I start to get frustrated when I when I can't do something, you know. So I struggle more from that being a support player, to be honest, than uh, being the person that's got the pressure on them. But uh, yeah, I've been lucky to play with a lot of a lot of players. Uh, and I mean, the last few years, um, two years, I guess, uh, Ben and Grant moved into town, and we, I've been training with them quite a bit. And so Maddie and I trained with them uh, two years ago before Maddie moved away. And then I've been with Jared and a few other, there's a crew like Steve Nash is a guy, uh, not the two-time MVP Steve Nash, but the volleyball uh, <laughs> player. And uh, that's been really neat to see that level of training. Because I think like thinking back, like when I, I, I didn't really do drills. Like I just like would go to the beach and play. And uh, that was kind of the culture around here. And it was been kind of neat to see that, how they train and to play just against that competition and see like, okay, this shot's not going to work on Granny. He's going to dig that every single time, right? And I'm going to have to try something else. Um, so, yeah, that's been pretty neat. So, so yeah, it's uh, been lucky to play with lots of different players. Nice. And what can you tell us about uh, Alex Russell, a guy that Grant O'Gorman gave a, a gentle push? And I'm really glad I, I got a chance to work with Alex this year because he's come out to Ontario and joined the national team. But sounds like that's a guy who's who's really honed his skills in the Vancouver scene and obviously gave Indoor a shot first playing professionally. And now we got him on the beach thanks to probably his experience with you and playing with Grant. But how have you seen him change over the years? Because you mentioned he's been around the beach since he was a youngster as well. Yeah, so... Probably Maddie and I's biggest rival have been Alex and Jared Krause. 
I know like I've played I played a ton with Jared as well to be honest so it's like we're all we're all pretty much best friends uh, which is kind of an interesting dynamic but we're all competing and when we get into those big tournaments we're competing against each other at the same time so like I mean I think Alex is just a great kid he's super competitive very skilled I think like when I was talking earlier about like how we don't really practice or we didn't really practice, we would just train. Um, I always had the mindset that like that was more beneficial in the long term because I was honing my or honing my like competitive edge and to like I want to be in as many of those like moments at the end of games where you're where the pressure's on to side out as po- as possible because I, I just felt like that's how I was going to get the most out of a player. But looking back on it, I definitely could have used more kind of like skill work or like repetition work, I think like Alex is really going to benefit from that. If he can, I mean, he's already a super talented player. Like, I don't know, like how he works and ranks in the hierarchy of one of the blockers. He's one of the best blockers in Canada, hands down already. He's got the ball skills. Uh, If he just, yeah, get that, like that extra level of training. I think the world, the sky's the limit really. I mean, I know he played seaside with Grant, uh, last year i believe and uh i think like long term he's got it he's got just a a great future in the sport he's the biggest blocker i've ever played against like he's maddie's i mean he might be an inch taller than maddie but he's got about a probably a six or seven kind of standing inch standing height reach advantage on maddie because maddie's got little t-rex arms but uh <laughs> he makes up for it in other ways um but uh, he's just he's just a huge guy, right? So yeah, I've, I've been able to play with him quite a bit, and we've won some tournaments. Um, and uh, yeah, it's just playing behind that block is a, is a real treat. It's pretty easy. Guys are just rolling it right to you every second ball. And uh, <laughs> yeah, he's uh, I think he's got. I'm, I was super happy to see him commit to to go into Ontario. And a funny fun fact, actually, I've won provincials, not beach provincials, but I've won men's provincials with Alex and his dad before. So when I was a young guy, I played indoor with Greg Russell, who is, he was the captain of the national team, uh, the Olympic team in 76, I think. And he, uh, he was probably early fifties and him and I were the starting left sides. I probably was in my third or fourth year playing university. Um, and we, and we won provincials and I just remember he was scoring on like little tips and he was just doing anything to score. I mean, he's, he's a big guy, just like Alex long arms and, uh, and he was getting pretty fired up. Um, <laughs> and I also remember playing against his dad when I was second year at cap, he played for the Canada masters team and I had never been owned like that in the middle. And he was 50 years old and I was like a second year university player and he was just blocking me. Like I couldn't get it by him. Right. And, uh, so yeah, a lot, of, a lot of love for the Russells, um, and I think like yeah, I mean he's still young and he's he hasn't had a lot of that high level training, so I think he's got a, a huge ceiling to do some really great things. Nice, nice, and you've touched on it a couple times here. So we talked about the long list of tournaments you've won, and you've brought up how competitive you are. So when we say something like you won twenty two Clivers, that's that's literally hundreds of matches you've played in Clivers over the years. So when you think about like clutch or being competitive or being tough in those moments. Do you think that's a skill you can train? Like, do you think it's just because you had so many reps and you are so competitive or how do you, how do you enjoy these moments you're in? Because if you're winning provincials and you're winning Clivers and you're winning Seaside, like obviously you're going to be in some tough moments where you need to side out or you're going to lose. Right. So how do you like to think about those moments or where does your mind go when you do find yourself in those moments? I think like during my formative years, uh, Maddie and I, like, it's, it's funny actually watching this Jordan documentary that was just on, because um, we actually would used to watch old Michael Jordan documentaries or some in the early 90s. Um, there was two or three of them, I think. And we used to watch it. And it wasn't as kind of in-depth as this more recent one, but it was like he would talk about a lot of the same things and, like, you that kind of, like, uh, staying in the moment, Um and then just the competitive drive, like wanting it more than the other the other team, I think was a big thing. And just like almost like just that I, I mentioned earlier, the refuse to lose kind of mentality where like I'm not losing this match. Like doesn't mean it's always gonna happen, but I think like if you have that kind of intrinsic belief that you're gonna be successful and that you're going to like power through in the moment, and you almost like it's almost like faking it till you make it. I, I, I tell some of the kids I, I coach sometimes, like, if you tell yourself that, like, 
I am going to be successful in this moment, you, you will. And I think that I just think back to the moments where I'm playing against someone and I, I have the confidence that it's tied, it's 13 all. And I have the confidence that I'm going to win. I'm going to, I'm going to make a play or two right in this next little sequence of plays and we're going to win the match. Right? Like I, I, that's, it's the belief really for me um, that is the, the most important thing. And I think like when I'm playing with all different partners, but with Maddie, especially you, like there was that, we'd say that to each other, right. To remind each other, little reminders at the end, like it's like, we're winning this match. Like we'd say to each other or something along those lines. And uh, that really like, you know, gets you thinking about the right things. Um, I think like staying in the moment is a super, super important thing that, I really, really focus on these days, uh, like not thinking too much, not thinking about the right things, like, like, you know, have your strategy before you go into a point, but once you get into that point, you're just dialed in on what, what's in front of you, right? You're watching where the serve comes and you're thinking about making that nice contact. And then as you're going to attack, you're not kind of predetermining what's going on. You're just kind of flowing into the ball and you're just like, see what's there and then just take it. Right. Um, I think like, that kind of mindset also leads itself to like more consistent play, right? Like you're not going to get as emotional or caught up on something that's happened two, two or three points previous. You're going to really just like, you know, if something bad happens, you're like, oh, oh, darn it. Okay. Let's, okay. Let's focus on the next thing. If something good happens, it's kind of the same thing. You're going to celebrate. You're not going to get too high about that. You're not going to start thinking about the matches in the context of like, Oh, I need this to win the, if I don't win this point, I'm not going to win the match. Right. Like you're just focusing on each point at a time. Right. And I think that's like a really key uh, for my success. Um, just staying present. Right. It's uh, it's really, you know, everyone talks about it these days and mindfulness and all that stuff, but like, it's, uh, it's hard to do. It's hard to do. And it <laughs> takes like training and practice and like intentional intent. While, while you're training, you have to intentionally, focus on it, right? You're like, okay, push everything aside. Let's make a play. Right. So, yeah. One of the, my favorite parts from the, the Jordan documentary, I've talked about it a few times with guests is just, I thought it was amazing how he could force himself to get up. Like if it was like the 45th game of the season, it's kind of the dog days where he would make up a story or he would say, my GM thinks this guy's good and I'm going to show him that he's not. So once again, just looking at your career and it's pool play at a, at a KBVA event and it's raining, are you just trying to stay present so you can still get the job done? Because I imagine you're, you're kind of a kid's legend, right? So people are going to give you their best game. They're not going to take a game off against you. So when it is kind of those throwaway games and it's, oh, I didn't get a good warm up and it's raining, how did you find times to fire up so you could still get it done and play these tough matches? Yeah, I mean, for me, it's like, I'm thinking about like my summer as a whole. Like, for, as I've gone through my career, I've really tried to think about like, performing well all the way through and, and that's i don't know if that's possible or not there's always going to be like ups and downs with like and i always thought after if we won a tournament that next tournament like i'd have to try to do that where i'd like i'd have to tell myself that this one's going to be twice as hard to win this tournament it's not just going to happen right so i'd have to like because i think human nature when you have a little bit of success like you're going to kind of just relax a little bit. Right. So I found that for me, that was a constant struggle. I think in terms of staying motivated for each match, I've never really had that problem. I think I just, I, just, I think I just naturally just got up for it. I know towards like the end when Maddie was playing, it was like a little bit more difficult. Like when he knew he was going to be moving away and he's thinking about other you know aspects of his life. I think like, I would, we would have these conversations about, you know, like having that fire, right. Where if I think back to when Maddie was younger, like fire was like burning very, very hot. Uh, so yeah, I think like playing those little games, I think staying present is, is, is a big one, but yeah, I mean, that, like you're just telling me about all these, like thinking back, it makes me realize how many like tournaments I've played in and how much time I've spent on the beach. And, um, yeah, it's kind of surprising. Um, I, I, I don't really have a good answer. I think, like, uh, I just, really, I think, you know what? I think it's, like, the passion for the game. I think it's, like, just loving to play. And, uh, like, if you're, if you're loving what you're doing, you're, you're going to put the work into it. So, I mean, staying present, you got the passion. And then, definitely, 
I did implement some of those tricks that that you talked about where you're, you're trying to like kind of say something to yourself to get motivated because every you're not going to be at your best at home every single day uh, that's for sure Awesome. I just wanted to get your, your take on a couple more stories. So I, I've got to attend one Cliver, me and uh, Thomas Soar and Logan Men, we went there when we were preparing for Canada Games. And there's so many cultural things that I was fascinated about. And one of them was near the end of the day, Dan K really wins some prize money, but he can't come out for dinner that night. So he literally gives Cliver money and says, hey, like this one's on me. Is that how many unwritten rules exist in this KBVA where there's just little things where like, yeah, you just won and you took our money for the day. But like uh, to use Seymour's quote, he's probably drank as much money as he's lost. He thinks in at least his KBVA history. Right. So can you just talk about the brotherhood where there's this expectation where you just won first and you earned this prize money and it was a grind to get there. But well, now you're going to be the big shooter at the bar and you're going to buy us all a drink tonight. Yeah, I think like in terms of that, it's like I think it's keeping it all in perspective. And I know like. For most of the guys out here, um, even though like a lot of guys are taking it seriously and uh, and training hard, and I, I have and I still do, um, I think there's a pers- perspective that it's like most of us are not doing this for like a, a career or it's not like a life and death thing. It's like it's it's in the context uh, it's a, it's in the context of the rest of your life, and it's uh, so I think like it's easier to you know justify doing that in that context. The, the thing with Seymour, uh, he always jokes that uh, he says that uh, I've donated you to you more money than anybody. Like, he's like, cause he, I think he's like, yeah, he's one of the, like, he's lost the most money. He's played the most tournaments, but won the least prize money or something along those lines. Uh, and uh, I think I've talked the prize money. So he always jokes about how he's like, always don't like, here's, here's your $25 with Scar when he's putting in his registration or something like that. Um, and I mean, yeah, like, a cliver, you win it. It's like maybe like the larger ones are like a thousand, uh, the like the finals or something, and they're they're mostly like six to eight hundred dollars. It's like you know you get a little bit of beer money, but it's 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 all about the community and the uh, the social aspect of it. Um, another little unwritten rule is is the shaggy shame uh, during uh, I don't know if you heard of this the uh, challenge court. So if you lose on challenge court, the t- losing team needs to shag. For the next team, so it's a shag shame. You lose, you and you got shag for the next team warming up, right? So little little social shaming, but like all in good good fun. Um, and there's a swing count, isn't there on challenge court? Like if you play pepper, that counts as towards your swings, right? Yeah, there's so there's, there's a limit. Yeah, you can't you can't swing. Well, you can swing more, but then the shag of shame is only obligated to <laughs> shag ten total balls. So five got five balls each. And then if you go over that, the shag shame can just like walk off the court and got to shag your own balls kind of thing. But I mean, if you're going to warm up for like 10 minutes on challenge court, you're going to hear it from, from the peanut gallery for sure. So, <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, what else is there? I mean, it's a real community thing. So it's like, I, I mean, I, I go every climber and I show up at like seven o'clock or shortly after, depending on how long it takes me to go to bed um, and do like the setup. Um, and then throughout the course of the day, like, and it's through people just communicating, like, I mean, Seymour is good and Sandy is good at it. Like just like making announcements, like during the meetings and stuff like this, like everybody just does a little bit. And then it's cause Cliver does so much and we're so lucky to have the opportunity. Like we literally have an opportunity to play tournaments every single weekend. And like, I look at myself as a player, like the, I, I talked to earlier about those, those opportunities to compete and in those moments, like every tournament is a, there's moment, there's going to be multiple moments to like either succeed or fail. And you're going to learn from that. So having like, it's literally every weekend you can play uh, starting in May and then going all the way to like the beginning of September. So it's like, it wasn't always like that, but it's kind of grown over the years. Um, and the level has gone up with it, right? All these guys competing against each other have pushed each other to get better. Like Alex and Jared and Gandhi and Belesny have been a good team that we've competed against in the past. And, uh, and, and that was actually, if I look back to like 2015 Seaside, uh, that was something that Clagger was really proud of because, um, the, the results, it was the top four teams were all Canadian teams. So it was, it was us and Maddie. We played the Casey brothers, uh, in the final. And, uh, we ended up going into the third set and winning 25, 23, I believe, even though we were at 14, nine, so we didn't totally crap the bed. Um, <laughs> and then we beat Jared and Alex in the semis, uh, in a really tough game. And then the Casey's beat Gandy Belesny in the other semi. 
and we had knocked out some American teams earlier on. They were kind of like more like qualifier level ADP teams or something like that. Um, but I mean, Jimmy was really proud of that because it's like it showed that like because if you if you rewind about ten, not even ten years, probably like you know seven or eight years, those Seattle teams and Oregon teams even would come up to our tournaments and they would win the tournaments or they would be one of the top finishing teams. And it was like, there was kind of like an aura, oh my God, the Americans are coming up, you know? Like, uh, whereas if you, if, if you let some time pass and we compete against each other, now we're actually like crushing them when, and, you know, they get a little older and stuff and we get better, but we're actually like taking care of them in these tournaments. So uh, I think like the progression of the level is, uh, has been a big thing. And now, now, as I mentioned earlier, there's all these young guys coming up, right? So it's really, really gotten really, really deep uh, in terms of the level of talent that's, that's around, which is, which is great for guys that want to improve, right? Yeah. Like the one thing that really stood out to me was there, there was no jerks. Like we came all the way from Ontario, obviously Logan being uh, representing Ontario with being a BC guy. We, we agreed to have a training camp out there, but, we knew our registration was just going to be euchred if we didn't get there in time. And we weren't even the first guys at the beach there. And I think we were there at seven. So it just shows that there was a hierarchy of like, if you're going to play in this tournament, like you're going to contribute, you're going to put up nets and, and so many people contribute to this culture and do good things, but you're right. Jim deserves all the credit, right? So what can you say about his involvement and what he's grinded through? Because I think we've given a lot of shouts over the show, but I'm not aware of the history and saying that he's been doing this since 97. Like, can you just give our, our listeners just a quick shout out about what he's meant to the volleyball community and all the little, things he's done because he's touched so many lives in our sport right and like i said like there, there's no jerks allowed at kbv everybody's a good guy you might chirp or you might do something else but everybody there is a good guy and there's no hierarchy even like uh jake and gabe were there two national team guys in the final and they were treated just like everybody else there wasn't any stardom because they were national team guys right so it just seems like everything top to bottom is first class and i think jim deserves the credit for that right yeah absolutely i mean he like he put the first beach courts in i think they were like actually like telephone poles or something they put into the <laughs> beach uh in like the 70s i believe and before that it was uh the, all the only beach court like only volleyball was on grass so uh, kids like they were people would set up grass courts and actually i saw a really good photo recently that was circulating around that i think it was someone put it on the kbva thread um, facebook thread and it was uh, like will chamberlain used to come up all the time and uh, so there's a picture of Wilt blocking and Jimmy in the back. Uh, Wilt's you know, got his nipples open, he's <laughs> pressing over. But uh, Jimmy's got some funny stories about Wilt. Like, for example, he uh, goes into a bar and, uh, you know, Wilt comes in. When he goes in with Wilt to the bar, Jimmy's like, okay, I'll get, I'll get us a couple of drinks, goes to the bar, goes to get a couple of drinks. By the time he comes back with two drinks in his hand, Wilt's walking out the door with two girls. <laughs> so it's, uh, but yeah, I mean, yeah, the, uh, it's, and I talked about the growth earlier with like how it's, how the KVV has grown from like, you know, I think there was one KVV where there's only like, there was like pissing or something early on. There's only like five players playing, but that's a win's a win. Whoever won that got, a, got that on the, on the, the stats, uh, record, even though I think they ran as the king of the beach, but, um, yeah, I set it up in the first beach courts coming in the 70s. And then, uh, I mean, just take, for example, like there's a Volleyball BC tournament named after him. The Jim Clive Cup uh, is one of the Volleyball BC events. Uh, and it's, uh, if you look on, uh, it's the, McK the McKibben Brothers YouTube uh, page, there is a documentary about basically the Vancouver Open, but uh, they're interviewing Jimmy the whole time. And it's really well done uh, for anyone that's interested. And he talks a little bit about the history of everything. But it's, yeah, like you said, it's just guys that are kind of keeping things in perspective. You're, it's, a, it's really the, like the social aspect is the foundation of the KBVA. Um, even guys that I compete against and maybe beat me or I beat them or whatever, like we're all going to the bar after and we're all, you know, even if you get in an argument with someone, so like I remember a few times we were refing and we got into some really stupid things on the court generally people are don't hold grudges um and it's it's all kind of forgiven and you know it's all washed away at the bar <laughs> shall we say but uh the community is the foundation for sure that uh, that aspect is, is is everything right that's what it's built on 
Nice. And, and over the course of this, learning about your career and, and seeing everything you've accomplished, obviously an easy guy to root for, and hopefully this grows in the future. But one more story i got to check on. What's the Whisk Army, and how can people join and obviously uh, start rooting for you in person when we get back to normal here? Yeah, so the Whisk Army was uh, the evolution of those. That first year I played with Mav, um, and uh, I can't remember when exactly. We had a center court game, and, uh, you know, all the, like, you know, the local – Actually, you know what it was? It was uh, we were playing, I believe, on the first day on the, on the evening game. We were playing against Binstock and Reader, and then there was Mav, and then there was me. So I was like, you know, three national team guys, and then the, the local guy, right? So every, everyone naturally kind of jumped on that bandwagon. Um, they were throwing stuff around like uh, local hero and like, and, and Sandy and Seymour on the mic, right? So I mean, they're super creative and they're good. They're great on the mic. They, they kind of they developed these storylines and uh, I think Sandy just kind of I think it was Sam, I'm pretty sure it was Sandy Sean Sanderson kind of just coined it and he just he said it and I think you know it's based on the Rosie's Raiders or whatever um, and uh, it's the, the Whisk Army so then that kind of evolved into a thing over the course of that match and carried over onto the next day and uh, they were pumping it up on the mic I think because. Sandy was pretty happy with his choice, name choice, which, which, which rightfully so is pretty hilarious. So I had a couple of group chats where buddies would come down and people, there was a lot of hecklers and uh, especially in that game, because it was the, you know, the, well, Marty's a PC guy, but you know, a lot of people maybe see him as like a, you know, national team guy. And uh, they were just, they were just heavily heckling whoever we were playing against. And <laughs> that's what I really think it played my advantage. Uh, <laughs> But uh, that match was a ton of fun. I think uh, Binner might have come back from the Maccabi, Maccabi Games uh, the night before, and he was. I found him sleeping under a table at some point, so I think he wasn't in his top form, but I ended up pulling a win against And Marty had just come out of retirement. I, think, I don't think he played in a few years, but we ended up squeaking out a win against them, and uh, we ended up losing, I think, to grant and mike in the semifinals, unfortunately but uh but yeah that was that kind of that carried over into the next year as well when we played so that was uh pretty fun so yeah <laughs> nice and one more volleyball thing i wanted to pick your brain on is just a super best friend of the show ben saxon's done a great project and started the nbvl and i think you've been in it since year one right like it's grown this year but uh, i think you were one of the original guys what made you want to be a part of this league? Like, what have you found as a player? Like, Ben's doing so much good for our sport. What have you found as just a guy who kind of entered and seen it grow over the, the two years that it's been in Vancouver there? Yeah, I mean, um, like I mentioned earlier, kind of got connected with Ben when he uh, was periodically in town the last few years. And it used to be maybe like a couple weeks into Christmas I would kind of train with him. And uh, I was just jumping at the opportunity to play with him just to uh, – um, to, it's not, you know, obviously common to get someone, one of the top players in the world or whatever to, to play against, uh, and, and Grant as well. Um, and, uh, so yeah, so the, I, I just think like Ben just like, I was kind of like, he was, he threw the idea up to me originally and I was like, Oh, he's like talked about the draft and, uh, he was kind of like picking my brain about it. And I was like, I, I didn't really see how it was going to connect. But really, he's just doing it for the right reason. Like, he really wants to grow the sport, and he's, like, just super passionate about it. And, uh, and like, the thing he would always say to me was, like, it's not – the way that volleyball is set up internationally is not – it's not very marketable, right? It's not, like – he liked the idea of having a team, like, like a sports team that you can kind of get behind, and you develop, like – a fan base, right? And it's kind of like this, like, Whisk Army thing or whatever, right? Like, there's, like, a – you know, you got to, like – the hometown crowd behind you. Right. And he thought that that was like a major thing that was missing on the world tour because the way it's structured, like these teams are going around from tournament to tournament and the local fans are not really connecting with any of the teams um, because it's in a different place every, every year. And probably most of them are not watching every week. I would assume the casual ones at least, right. The diehards will be, but um, so he really wanted to create a connection between, like, you know, a team that you would root for. And, yeah, the, it's evolved over the It grew a little bit in our second year, so we had larger teams, and he tweaked a couple of the rules. Uh, but, yeah, I thought it was I thought it was great. It's really interesting playing in that format because, uh, I mean, when you're playing uh, – because, for example, I mean, the semifinals this year, like, 
I was coaching in an indoor tournament all day, not feeling great. Went to the game in the evening, was did not perform well. We lost our match, I think, to Felipe and uh, and to Ricketts. Uh, but our girls end up winning, and so we go into this overtime set, and it's like, oh, this is strange. And really, I just perform well for like, you know, one set, um, where not even the whole set, like parts of the set, and do enough so that our girls can kind of like carry the weight and win, win it for us. Uh, and I walk away and I win and I'm just like, well, that's kind of a strange feeling. I kind of feel like I played like crap, but we still won. So, Hey, a win's a win. Right. <laughs> um, and I've had the opposite as well, where I've played well and maybe like the girls have lost or whatever in our, in our first year. But yeah, it's, it's a super interesting format. And, uh, and he brought some just attention to the sport. Uh, the overtime set is, is super exciting. Uh, it's like any, literally anything can happen. There's like, I find there's no flow to the game. Like as a, as, as a, as a player playing, I'm serving a ball in. Um, normally if you get a defensive point, it's like, Oh, I'm picking on this one guy. I can go right back at him, but no, it switches to the girl's game. And then the, the girls side out and then all of a sudden you're on the defensive. So it's like the, the, the flow of the game is completely different. And like the crazy runs that can happen, we're just like, it's like, I don't know how you can predict what's going to happen in those overtime sets. So that kind of idea of going back and forth between the men's and the women's game is like, it's a super exciting thing. I think it's got a ton of potential. Now, do I like that format? Not necessarily. Cause I, I like I mentioned before, I like being in control and having that kind of pressure on me, but, uh, but definitely for just like a fan perspective, like it's, it's, it's awesome. Yeah, I remember the first time we went to overtime in Toronto. As I'm reading the rules, we're all kind of looking at each other, and it took us three or four points to figure out if we're doing this right. And then every match after, everybody's just rooting for overtime somehow, some way to just make it happen. Because I think everybody crowds around the court, like it gets super intense. Like you said, the pace slows down just a touch, so it's like every point has that that added pressure, and everybody's watching you. I thought it was it was really cool, but yeah, when I first read it, I was like, I don't know how this is gonna work. And then yeah, just over the top, everybody was fired up to see it. Yeah, and also I think like. I found like there were like, like you said, the added pressure, like you might only get a chance to serve two or three balls in a set. And it's like, you start, if you see your brain starts kind of circulating and thinking like <laughs> about that, it's like, Oh my God, like I better make a good serve here. Like, like I'm not going to get like multiple serves to like get a, Like, so every kind of like action is like, just like amplified, uh, which is, which is pretty cool. So, yeah. Awesome. Well, I'm, I'm glad we could finally get you on the show. It took a little coordinating, so thanks for your patience and making this work. Uh, before we before we let you go, you've told some great stories already. I was hoping you could leave us with just a, a funny story that we're trying to make a tradition on the show that, you know, volleyball's provided some unique experiences, I bet. So hoping you could leave us with another laugh before we let you go. Yeah, definitely. Um, I was thinking about this uh, when I was driving from work the other day, yesterday, and you know, I was thinking of telling the story about when Maddie lost his uh, all his big wad of Cliver winnings in the bar because he had too many barley waters. But I think I'll pass on that <laughs> one and uh, choose, a, choose a different one. Sorry, Maddie. So yeah, so I'm going to tell you like uh, this is maybe 2000. I can't remember the year now. 2014 ish, maybe 2013 ish. We would go down, and I'll just tell you this to give you a feel because there's this whole Seattle crowd as well. Um, there's there's a beach down there. It's uh, Altai Beach. Um, and they run, it's, it's kind of an equivalent to like the KVBA. It's just like a smaller scale. And, uh, there's probably six ish tournaments a year, maybe, maybe less, maybe five. And they always have one every year called the Alki grant. And it's, uh, that, that's the, like the biggest prize money. I think it's like over a thousand us to win that one. So I haven't gone down in a few years, but we used to, we used to do those and we used to do the one day trip. So you, you, you wake up at like, you know, 5 o'clock, hop in the car, no traffic, bomb down across the border, get down to Seattle, and then you're there for like, you know, 8.30, and then you're, you're warming up and you're playing, and it's a double elimination format, and uh, and then we would play, and then we would drive back in the evening, and it was so super long days, right? This was at the time where uh, Maddie was, uh, this summer, was living in a uh, RV, actually, uh, an old, old RV, RV at Glendale, we called it the Glendale because it uh, you know, makes it a little classier. Um, and uh, so we, and there was a group of us actually. It was us, uh, I think Jared wasn't playing, but he just wanted to come down. And there was a couple other buddies. That, so we all pile into the RV, go across the border, play all day. And, and during the course of the day, we're just like, 
there were some gaps. Like normally we're just to Clivers and Clivers like on, if there's an open court, Clivers like screaming at somebody like, get on the court, you're playing, get warming up. Like he's pressuring people to like keep the tournament moving along so that it finishes at a reasonable time. And we're just sitting around and we're just like, there's open courts, no one's playing. We're just like, oh my God, this is looking at the time. And it's like double elimination too, right? So, you know, the backside, we're waiting for the backside to finish up and uh, we're like looking at the time. We're like, we're going to wrap the life here. So anyways, Matt, Matty and I end up uh, making the finals and Matty um, hits the wall. It's like a long day. Matty starts, he starts cramping in finals and we're playing uh, these two uh, American guys, Tassia and Mueller, uh, who have come up a ton and good, good players. Um, and uh, Matty's fully cramping in finals, first set. Um, all of a sudden, the sun goes down, and it starts to get darker and darker and darker, and we're just like, okay, and we're getting crushed in first set. Right? We're getting served off the court, and I was like, oh, this is, this sucks. And then the uh, sun goes down, and it's like literally, it's pitch black outside, and there's there's like all you can see are the boardwalk. There's uh, there's some lights on the boardwalk, that, and they're not, they're not lighting the court up whatsoever, so instantly the dynamic of the game changes and it's like okay and for some reason maddie could just see in the dark and they were serving on every single ball and the other thing we realized was that when you serve lob serve up high uh you there's the mountains and you could see a little bit of you could see the ball on the horizon right because the, the, the sky had still a little bit of light in it because it hadn't and uh so they were lobbing it up we talked about it, make sure you serve flat over the net they can't see it it's not gonna be an ace no matter what so anyways, the whole game changed. Maddie somehow could see in the dark. He's passing dimes. I'm set. I don't know how he was hitting. He was spiking the ball. I was like, what? how do you even see the ball? What's going on here? <laughs> I remember one play where they just like were at the net and the ref was right at the net too. And I was, I think I was like blocking and they set it and it was like the worst set, like totally mangled because you couldn't see it. And it was like the worst double you'll like, but no one, the ref couldn't really see it. And they just like, they kind of just, anyways, it was just like, it was not volleyball basically. Right. Um, but we ended up dealing with the conditions a little better and we ended up coming back and we ended up winning. And uh, we're just like, we've always taken uh, pride in going down to the States and, and beating Americans. So we just always have enjoyed that um, just because they always used to come up and, and give it to us back in the day, right? So it was kind of like a, you know, it was a measure of pride, right? So anyways, we win. It's pitch black. It's late. So we're like, oh my God, let's get the hell out of here. We got our prize money pile into the Glen, the Glen Valley and we start, we start bombing home and we have a, we have a case of beer in the back and uh, we're having a couple sips on the, on the, on the drive home. We're coming up to the border last corner before the border. Maddie, Maddie's driving, takes it a little bit too uh, hard. The refrigerator opens, the case of beer flies out of the refrigerator. Beers are punctured <laughs> and there is a probably two inches of beer on the bottom of our, of the, of the RV as we're rolling up to the, to the border check. And we're just like, okay. Like I'm pretty sure guys had like beer on their pants in the back. And they're like, it was just like, so anyways, we were, we, we pull off. We're like, okay, this is not natural. And luckily, you know, she was super nice and she like, and luckily we weren't going the other way. Uh, and uh, we, we got through and anyways, so full day kind of trip, but, uh, you know, playing in the dark and, uh, Smuggling some beer across the border is uh, <laughs> good times. <laughs> oh, that's awesome, man. So I'm sure there's lots more to cover, but I'm glad you shared all you did and we could learn about your career. We'll have to have you back on and tell some more stories. But for today, I'm just looking at the clock. You got you got lots to do. So thanks for taking all the time you did and sharing all the great stories. Yeah, Josh, thanks a lot. I really appreciate you having on. Big fan of the show. And uh, yeah, keep doing what you're doing.